it's like it's like saying you're from Rhode Island. Like nobody fucking gives a shit about Connecticut down here in Tennessee. Okay, Delaware. Okay, big whoop. Welcome to Football and Other F-Words. I am your host, Michael Gillum. I'm joined, as always, by Michael Herndon and Zach Lyons. We are brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check us out if you haven't already. We would love to have you over there because it's going to be a long off-season of discussing what happened to the Titans. I'm going to take a moment to say that I take no pleasure in being both right and wrong. I had said on last week's podcast that I was really afraid that the Titans were going one and done, but my assumption was based on that. I thought that the defense would completely shit the bed and that the offense would struggle to keep up with the deficit that the defense put them in. And honestly, I couldn't have been more wrong because the defense actually kind of stepped up a little bit. And it's the offense that we are here to talk about today, which seemed to be just a big colossal letdown. So with that lovely introduction, how are we doing this morning, gentlemen? Well, after the Titans game, I had one of the best days of football in watching football on Nickelodeon and watching the Steelers just get utterly dismantled by a Cleveland Browns team that they have no business being dismantled by. And they're frauds. We've all said it on this podcast, at least at one point or another, and it took a little while for everybody to get on board, but they're frauds. They're frauds And and they're bitching. Oh, they're like they're, they're such still bitches. bitching. Yeah, they they are the worst team. They're my, I'll say this, they are my least favorite team when they're not playing the Colts. Yeah, and then of course the college team, University of Alabama, just a just another championship. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah, I'm proud of Alabama for overcoming the adversities to win their first national championship in 23 minutes. So yeah. No, it was a 28-point squeaker. Uh, close one by Alabama standards. It was. So, really? Uh, really had to sweat that out for two and a half quarters. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm salty about everything right now, so. Well, I'm, I'm, I will say with Zach, before we start going down the, the bad rabbit hole, Zach and I had a good weekend of sports betting. So other than the Titans completely shitting the bed, we had a good weekend on sports betting, but And I I lost the bets that I lost were because of the Titans. Yeah, no, same here. The (laughs) only bets that I lost were because of the Titans. Otherwise, I had a really good weekend. Of all people, Derrick Henry could not find the end zone. Like, give me a fucking break. Him and Taysom Hill seemed like automatic, going to find a way to get in the end zone at some point. But, eh, you know, I guess not not going to happen this week. Let's start there. Derrick Henry, 18 carries, 40 yards, 2.2 average. Uh, A tweet I've got saved, next-gen stats from the NFL. Uh, against a stacked box, 13 carries, 24 yards, 1.8 yards per carry, eight-plus defenders in the box. The man could not make it happen. What happened, Mike? Well, I mean, totally predictably, in the Ravens did this the last two times the, the Titans played them. They stacked the box. They played single high safety the whole game, and they – said we're going to take away Derrick Henry now the first two times they tried to do that it didn't work you know stacking the box against Derrick Henry is a thing that sounds great on paper but you also have to have the personnel to do it because just having extra bodies in there uh, doesn't always do the trick if they can't get them on the ground Um, but with Brandon Williams and Clay's Campbell back in the middle and the Ravens front being basically fully healthy uh, that was enough combined with a aggressive run blitzing, you know, pack the box game plan to, to stop Henry. And the, the thing that pisses me off about the Titans game plan is that it, this was so predictable from the Ravens. You knew how the Ravens were going to defend you and yet you still chose to go in and, and have the hubris of thinking, doesn't matter who they have in there. Doesn't matter how many people they put in the box. We're going to keep running Henry. We're just going to crack it eventually. Um, which I get that, you know, sticking with the run has been something that we've uh, applauded Arthur Smith for uh, previously. But when it's just simply not working and not even coming close to working, like it, it never even felt like it was about to, to crack. It just felt like it was gummed up in the middle and they had to, the, the only success they ever had was going to AJ Brown. Um, and I don't understand why they didn't just pump AJ Brown with 25 targets 
and make the Ravens stop him because the Ravens had no hope of stopping him early in that game. So the, the frustrating thing to me is that they never broke with the run it on first down, then maybe maybe we'll throw it on second. I mean, the play action passing even, I mean, they, they just never did anything to come out of that shell. They, they just played extremely conservative. It felt like they wanted to just get it to the last last quarter within a, a one possession and hope and pray they could pull out a miracle. I, it just, it felt like a cowardly game plan with a lot of cowardly decisions within it. So I, I just... I know I didn't like the approach at all. Well, and I know that the Ravens were doing a great job of setting the edge, but at some point you Derek Henry has to be sent on the outside to at least try to use some speed or use his strength and his stiff arm to be able to try and break something free. Send, like you said, send him up the middle. Wasn't working. Uh, <clears throat> and we'll probably get into this just a little bit, just a, a little bit. Uh, but Arthur Smith, you know, got had the Jacksonville Jaguars um, interview that day or that night. And people are all up in arms saying that, oh, maybe he was trying to prove, you know, when's the last time that Derrick Henry got less than 20 yards or 20 carries in a game? It looks like he was trying to prove that we should win with Ryan Tannehill. If you watch that game, it looked like he was trying to prove that we could win with Derrick Henry. I mean, in my opinion, Derrick Henry got too many carries. <laughs> I mean... I understand that it has worked in the past when um, Derrick Henry has been able to break those big runs, but this is a different Ravens team than what we saw earlier in the season. I kept telling everybody this would be a different Ravens team, and it's because of Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell allowed other defenders to be able to set the edge and do more. And this defensive line beat the crap out of our offensive line in the run game, and it is utterly – it was – it's a disappointing loss and I don't really want to spend too much time because I'm already in off season mode. I love the off season. This is where I actually prove that I'm the most right uh, constantly every se- every year. Derek Henry's contract last year, Ryan Tannehill's contract. Last- well, this is where we nail it. So, you know, we didn't nail the regular season. The Titans let us down. It is a disappointment. It is in my opinion, based on my expectations. Look, everybody can have their own different expectations for this team. Winning your division is isn't as important, in my opinion, as it has been because of the new playoff system. It doesn't really feel like this year that home playoffs and all that really mattered, and that may change next year because it, hopefully we'll have crowd and people in the stands, blah blah. And it's and it's great, good for them, but it's a moral victory at this point for this team that should have made the AFC Championship game at the very least. And it's a disappointment in my, and this, this is all my opinion. This is not a factual thing because it's all object objectivity. But if you end the season in a worse spot, a one and done versus an AFC championship game based on last year's success, this was a failure in my opinion. I just don't understand to Mike's point of <laughs> look like a cowardly game plan I have to agree. The offense is not the part of the of the game that I thought I would end up being disappointed in, and I was greatly disappointed in it. Look, I expected Henry to struggle, but I just didn't expect to see this, <clears throat> excuse me, keep sending Henry up the middle. Don't focus on A.J. Brown when A.J. Brown, it looked like, was having a hot hand at the beginning of the game. I guess I'm a little disappointed in it. I want to tread carefully here because I don't know what happened, but I'm disappointed in the disappearance of Corey Davis, the non-explanation from the Titans of was he actually injured or what happened? And if he was injured, I mean, are we hiding it? What's the deal? I mean, it's it's frustrating as a fan to just see one of your what looked to be, especially you know, mid to late season, a budding, good performing star of a wide receiver standing on the sidelines with his helmet in his hands. Well, they said yesterday that. If uh, if he could be out there, he would have been out there. And so that, to me, screams that he had some kind of injury. Now, the way he's disappointed and walking off the field, I mean, there were, I could when he was talking to Derrick Henry, I could see a little bit of a limp. So I don't know if he really could have played through it or not. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that they pulled him because of contract 
negotiation tactics or what whatever theory people yeah, are floating yeah. out there. I <laughs> mean, ins- that's these, insane. These, Come on, like is that something that getting, someone's really yeah. saying? Yeah, I, I've uh, a lot of people just Jesus think that Christ. he was benched because of contract reasons. I mean, they're they're alluding to that. That's I mean, I so assume that's what these people mean. Like, what's well, it's, it's just as ridiculous as people saying that uh, Arthur Smith's, um, you know stuff was split because of an interview i think that's just utterly ridiculous i mean he's oh, a grown-ass yeah. man we're gonna let get into that you, in a minute. and let me tell you about these coaches they he's known for about a week and a half his game plan and to present in an interview was done like a week ago it was probably done sometime last year because they update their files they have a running game plan when they go and visit teams it is not a big distraction and to listen, go down there in Steve, front of Steve Sarkeesian had zero problem coaching circles around Ohio State last night yeah. while having another job and building a staff for the past two weeks. So get out of here with all that nonsense. But it was matter. just um it was just one bad game. And, and and what sucks is that we said all week that if the defense just played bad and not terrible, we should be able to win this game. And they actually played better than bad. They played actually, you know, average, maybe even a little slightly above average, depending on your faith in the Baltimore Ravens offense. But they played the Baltimore Ravens good enough on defense that this is just a total, total cluster and disappointment in, in how they lost a game and the reasons behind that they lost a game. I mean, if I'm a team and I see this, I'm like, oh, Arthur Smith, this is not very good. But you don't let one game change everything that's happened the previous games. But I, I, like I've said, I just don't think Art Smith's ready and going to get a head coaching job anyway. I, I think it's it's ridiculous to go back and revision this history the past two years over one game with Arthur Smith. He's been a really good offensive coordinator. This has been a top five offense ever since Ryan Tannehill took over. Um, and it's not like it's not like Arthur Smith stumbled into, uh, you know, some some team that was just ready, ready and locked and ready to go and, and easy to just crank out top five offenses every year. This this team went from bottom five offense to top five offense under his watch. It takes a lot. And, and it's not just play calling like play calling is one part of it. It's it's an important part of it. But everything else that he does from organizing the the offense to, you know, putting in the different tags and the different adjustments that has to have to be done against different fronts, different looks that they're going to see. There is so much more that goes into being an offensive coordinator than just saying run or pass on game day. Um, he's really good. He's really got a well-prepared offense. This is not a characteristic game, obviously, because if, if you're going to let, Arthur Smith's game against the Ravens color your entire opinion of him. Then you also have to say the Titans pass rush is great because they got five sacks. They got five sacks in the last game. And if the last game's all that matters, then Brooks Reed and Harold Landry are basically TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? Like you have to look at the last game and learn stuff from it. And I'm actually writing about this right now, but there's stuff that you can learn from this game. There's a lot of stuff that you should not learn from this game. It was complete flip on the head from what the rest of the season was for the Titans. It sucks that they went out this way. The thing I'm most frustrated with though, is the fact that they just never went for it. They, they got up early, almost feel like getting up early hurt them um because they get the 10 nothing lead and i felt like they felt like from there all right the defense is playing well we just have to grind it out we can grind it out play it safe and then you know get get over the finish line to win this game well 10 point lead is nothing in the nfl i mean it, it really is at this point so they they get super conservative and then they finally start try to come out of their shell very very late um and even in the fourth quarter they still weren't being aggressive i mean we can talk about the fourth and two uh decision to punt on the the 40 yard line which is the first time that a coach had done that while trailing in the fourth quarter in like 76 times that you know 75 coaches went for Brable's only one that didn't in that same situation and it was I thought the game was lost right there when it happened um because there you just you're so low on possessions and you're so low on possessions that are almost in scoring range I mean if nothing else 
in, in that situation, you want to try to go get a field goal because a field goal means the, the next field goal could win the game rather than, you know, you needing to score a touchdown. So I don't know. I, the whole thing's very frustrating. The fourth and two call I thought was unbelievably bad. Brable's worst decision of his entire coaching tenure with the Titans uh, by far. And the whole, the whole thing is, is frustrating for this season to end like this. Cause like Zach said, you know, winning the division is great, but it doesn't really matter if you don't take advantage of the home playoff game. Right. So, um, you know, I think if you look at the season as a whole, it's, I don't think you can call it a success. I think you can call it at best neutral. Um, it's certainly the playoffs were disappointing. Um, they did win 11 games, so it's not a total failure in my opinion, but, um, Obviously, the the off season, the disastrous off season from John Robinson hurt him. Uh, Mike Vrabel having too much confidence in Shane Bowen hurt him. Uh, them bringing, you know, not going and getting in the draft uh, a kicker like Rodrigo Blankenship. Obviously, Guskowski ended up being fine at the end of the year, and frankly, he kicked really well down the stretch. But that hurt him early. The decision not to draft a wide receiver hurt them. I thought that was one of the weirdest things at the draft. I, I thought for sure they were going to go draft a receiver to at least compete with Khalif Raymond for that wide receiver four spot. They didn't. Khalif Raymond ends up getting pushed over it like a, <laughs> a breeze on that, that critical interception. Um, and it, it's just so many things came home to roost for them. And, and obviously it's a lessons learned thing. They're going to have to go into this offseason and knock it out of the park and get ready to reload and come back next year, which obviously the core of the team is going to be back. Um, you know, some pieces may change here or there, but this is a team that should compete again next year. But, uh, you know, it, it's frustrating to see it end like this. Well, damn, it must be frustrating because you didn't leave a damn thing for me and Lebowski to talk about. <laughs> he, he rattled off <laughs> I mean, different things that I've got written. I'm over here, like, moving shit, marking things <laughs> off. No, but, so I do – I, I want to start with what – yeah, Khalif Raymond fell over, like, one of those inflatable Christmas things in the front I mean, it was pass interference, but, like, I wouldn't call but, it. I'd say – I'd be right. like, okay, sorry, you're a grown-ass NFL player. Can you stand up? I mean, give me a break. So let me let me back up and, and start with this. Part of this comes from a, a text exchange that also turned into Chad Withrow getting in a huge battle with people on Twitter about is the Titan season a failure and that kind of thing. And I, I am going to kind of start there. Mike's already kind of given his piece. So I'll go with Zach first. Is this season a success in your mind? It's hard to say that 11-5 a season is not a success, kind of like what Mike said. And so maybe I shouldn't use the words failure, but I think it's a disappointment. I think that's the word to describe this season is that it's a disappointment. The Tennessee Titans should have been better for all intents and purposes. They did technically on paper. You can argue the merits of the Vic Beasley signing, but they tried to address the pass rush. They, they drafted a, a bunch of supposedly really good, you know, players in the NFL draft. And they made the necessary addition of Jadavian Clowney, something that everybody was clamoring for. They brought back all the pieces of their offense that this should have been a better season. They should have never lost to the Bengals. They should have never got blown out by the Browns. You know, we can chalk up, you know, the Steelers loss. You know, that's that's not a disappointing loss at all. I mean, this is a team that should have been at least two or three games better and should have gone to the AFC Championship game. And they didn't. And they drew a mediocre Ravens passing attack and pass and offense. And, and they should have at least advanced to the next round where they would have probably had a good chance to have better games and stuff and it's just it's a disappointment i i don't i think i think if you if you're pounding your chest say hey we went we got over the nine and seven hump and we got that asc south championship banner you know let's hang up at rafters it was a good season i think you're lying to yourself i think either that or you just have had really low expectations compared to the rest of uh the fan base because expectations should have been high and and if you start changing your expectations and start moving the line lower and lower as the season goes on because things develop, then that's still the sign of a failure because they didn't meet your initial expectations. It's like, you know, telling a guy, hey, 
you know, you need to sell five cars this month. And then you see halfway through the, the month that he's only sold two and you could say, okay, let's make it three. Well, then, then you're, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to the person that you're holding accountable. Yeah. And that's, you actually kind of took the last part, the words right out of my mouth, which is, I think Mike is correct on you've got fans, you fans, we fans have to get out of the mentality of the only thing that matters is the last game played. Because if you look at it that way, the Titans defense was great. They had five sacks and the offense was terrible. That's not the case, which is where you see a lot of fans going down the road of, and we're going to come back to this. I promise we need to fire Vrabel, let Henry go all kinds of crazy shit. We're going to get into that in a minute, but I Zach nailed it with the if you're having to, to adjust your expectations, then the season, the your expectations being adjusted are already pointing towards a failure. And that's exactly where I got when Beasley and Clowney did not pan out. You're already having to adjust your expectations of the season of shit's not going well, right? And so that's where I was coming to the conclusion that I was trying to prepare fans for you need to be expecting a one and done because just like the Browns, you know, the, the Steelers are not going to come back in that game. If they're having 35 points spotted on them. Right. I mean, yeah, it's neat to see them start to score and make it a game, but you, you spot that many points not going to happen when the Titans, unfortunately had themselves spotted with a first round draft pick that completely didn't even show up and was ineffective on the field. Vic Beasley and, and Clowney, Beasley, of course, literally disappearing and having to go away. Clowney goes on IR. All the same, you can't spot all that stuff and then expect a deep run in the playoffs. It's just, it is disappointing to see that the Titans went out with an anemic looking offense and a defense that seemed to get it together. That's what's most disappointing. And I think that's, that's kind of what shocked fans a little bit. Um, as I say that, we have a new addition to the podcast, Mr. Matt Miller. How are you doing today, sir? Doing well, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I want to get uh, adjusted here. Matt is going to come on and talk a little bit of, we're going to talk some, what are you all going to get into? Draft prospecting? Uh, you know, what are the Titans moves going to be? <laughs> a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of that, a little bit of looking back on uh, what happened with the the last couple drafts for the Titans, you know, kind of how that, that led them to where they ended up uh, this season and, uh, looking forward, obviously, now that uh, we're in off-season mode. So, so um, Matt Miller, obviously, is with us with his uh, NFL Draft Scout. And, Matt, you just made a move. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days? Yeah, guys, after a decade at Bleacher Report, where I was the lead NFL draft reporter, also did a lot of NFL stuff there, I decided that, uh, to use a sports analogy, I'd kind of accomplished everything that I could there, right? You know, we'd, we'd done it all. And for me, going from BR being a startup and myself being really a startup in that industry, I just felt like it was time to try something new, like a new adventure, um, especially in this industry. I feel like if you don't change, you become kind of static and you almost get forgotten about a little bit. So I just wanted to mix things up and get back to really covering the draft in the NFL the way that I want to, where, you know, BR is this gigantic company that covers a lot of sports, right? So there'd be a day where NBA playoffs are going on. I want to drop a mock draft. That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Or, uh, you know, there might be the World Series going on or March Madness, and I want to talk about the Titans team needs. Not really the best timing. So I think with this, I will be able to focus 100% of my energy on the NFL and the NFL draft. And also, I'm not competing with other really, really great content that a company like Bleach Report puts out. So I can put out as much content as I want, as much as my readers want. So uh, I've launched, it's thedraftscout.com. It's already launched, uh, and the articles will actually start February 11th because that's when my contract expires. But other than that, until that time, we're doing a lot of fun things. There's a Discord server where folks can just talk about football in the draft. Uh, we'll be doing some Zoom happy hours, uh, scouting clinics, coaching clinics with people like you know Jeff Schwartz, Matt Bowen, Duke Mannyweather, Quincy Avery, you know, really, really people, you know, great experts who really know those positions. Uh, and then also something we're doing that people seem to be really excited about it's a member mock draft. So if you sign up uh, for the, the service, the draftscout.com, you have a chance to take over your team as GM. We're going to do a live draft. So everybody's going to hop in a Zoom call, uh, 32 general managers and myself, and 
Jags are going to go on the clock. They're going to get three minutes to make a pick. Then the Jets are going to go on the clock. So it's going to be – we're going to run through at least the first round for this first one. I think eventually we'll get to all seven. But uh, just trying to make it more of a community where people can not only read my work and listen to podcasts, but also interact with each other and, and have a good time. I like it. You can find Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. Very good follow. Gentlemen, I am going to turn it over to Mike and Zach. Let them get into it. Uh, Mike, take it away. Yeah, so uh, I guess what, I, what I'd like to start with is kind of looking back at the Titans 2020 uh, draft class. Obviously, things kind of went awry. Isaiah Wilson never ended up getting on the field for them for all sorts of off-the-field reasons and you know maybe some on-the-field reasons too. Uh, Christian Fulton was hurt most of the year. Darrington Evans, same thing. Uh, really, the the guy, the rookie, I think that made the biggest impact, frankly, was undrafted defensive lineman Tier Tart uh, at a FIU, who flashed big time uh, at, at moments for them. But really disappointed to to not get more out of that rookie class than what they did, especially for a team that was was set to be a contender this year. Can you look back at that class? Let us know kind of what your thoughts were at the time, and then kind of maybe how. Obviously, you can't control injuries, but how did they miss? on some of the Isaiah Wilson stuff. Yeah, you know, I think at the time I liked the class. Uh, let's go back there. And the reason being because what I said uh, on draft weekend was if you flipped, if you told me if you told me the Titans were going to leave out of the second round and they were going to have Isaiah Wilson and Christian Fulton, like that's a pretty good draft. I would have thought that Christian Fulton was the first rounder and Isaiah Wilson was the second rounder. So sometimes, you know, and sometimes I get my valuation of players – wrong and you say okay well I thought Isaiah Wilson was probably a second rounder I thought Chris Fult was first you just flipped them it's going to work out great so I really liked those two picks round three they come back say boom let's get a big play guy and I had folks with the Titans tell me that obviously they love Derrick Henry he's one of the best running backs we've seen in the NFL in a really long time but they wanted a little bit something to go with him which is you know what they tried to do with Deion Lewis back in the day so Darrington Evans like okay here we go like they're building this thing out the way they wanted to so I really liked you know, those first three picks, obviously not having around four affected things, but with Isaiah Wilson, like what, how do you miss all this? It's tough, right? Because you do all the work. And the thing is he was a really young player. So you have to be careful with a really young player. Who's, you know, always had the structure of you go from a high school to a, a program like Georgia, where you're starting very, very early in your college career. There's gonna be a lot of structure around you. So make sure you go to class. So make sure you go lift weights. So make sure you hit curfew. You basically have like a parent system with you. You drafted in the NFL, especially with first round money, and there's none of that. And I think not to make an excuse for the guy, but also with a pandemic where these guys are being handed millions of dollars for the first time in their life, and they want to go have fun. They want to go enjoy it. They want to be an NFL player out there. And for Isaiah Wilson, he made some poor decisions. And I, I think that, you know, really showed up in even Mike Vrabel saying, I think it was last night or maybe this morning about, Someone asked, is Isaiah Wilson a future of this team? And he's like, I don't even know where to start to answer that question because we didn't see anything from him. So, number one, you know, he's got to make better choices off the field. You know, it's it's not just the going out during a pandemic. It's it's everything. He has to make better choices. And there's also a guy who had, at times in college, you worried about him staying, you know, in the right weight that they want him at. He had a tendency to balloon up. You want to make sure he's conditioned. So, there's a lot to work with there. Uh the potentials through the roof, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Titans look at a right tackle, whether that's a free agency or the draft, just to shore up that position. Now, as far as Christian Bolton goes, I think he's perfect for this scheme and, and that might change a little. We'll see if you guys bring in a real defensive coordinator or not next year, but I really like Christian Fulton. I was petitioning pretty hard for him to go late first round. You know, he was banged up that final year at LSU. That definitely hurt his draft stock a little bit. And then as we saw banged up this year, but I mean, he's just so smart, so savvy. Uh, in coverage you know, he's not gonna be the biggest guy or the fastest guy but he knows how to play the ball he knows how to play the man and I, I think that's gonna be perfect for you know how much ever longer Malcolm Butler is gonna be there with you guys I think Christian Bolton can be a corner very very similar to that with a little bit higher ceiling you know fans they fans and analysts here locally they they have some of these expectations set up for a first round pick like their idea of a first round pick is a day one starter and a day one year one above average to elite kind of player. Yeah. like that doesn't seem very realistic so what do you think are realistic expectations that fans should set for first round picks that's not the quarterback that is being drafted to be groomed right um 
what are those expectations? Is it day one starter or an average play? Or is it near elite? They need to be near elite status because they were a first round pick. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good question, Zach. And a lot of it goes to when you're when you're drafting that guy. When you're picking at 29, it's a hell of a lot different than when you're picking at five, right? And so, you know, with Corey Davis, there were big expectations. This guy needs to come in right away and be wide receiver one. And that didn't happen. So that leaves a little bit of sour taste in your mouth. With the 29th overall pick, you could, okay, this is not the same caliber of player. You can temper those expectations a little bit. I do think that's where people like myself, people who are – prominent voices in the NFL draft space need to do a good job of educating those fan bases of, okay, like, let me speak directly to Jaguar fans. Trevor Lawrence will be your starting quarterback week one. Okay. Jets fans, whoever you take, this is the expectation. And then you get down to the Titans and say, okay, whatever you guys do, let's say by some stroke of luck, you get quitty pay, you know, for Michigan defensive end, we can say, okay, this is what you can expect from him year one. This is the type of player that he is. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the draft weekend moves so quickly and there's such a mountain of information that comes out that that's where I think the draft industry, you know, as far as the media goes, has to evolve and say, okay, let's take a deep breath because the week after the draft, we should be speaking to kind of those individual fan bases and saying, okay, Titans fans, like, here's who you drafted. Here's what I would expect year one. And here's the four-year projection for this guy instead of, First round pick, he better start at right tackle and he can give up two sacks this year because he's replacing Jack Conklin and we need him to be great. When even without the off-field stuff, that was never the projection for Isaiah Wilson. He was always going to be more of a project than he was a day one starter. Do you think though drafting a project in round one was is this because like you said, kind of how I made peace with the Isaiah Wilson pick was swapping Christian Fulton for Isaiah Wilson, just viewing yeah. it the other way around. <laughs> it helps, um, right? <laughs> yeah, it helps. It helps. It, it, it does. doesn't really help right now, but it helped back then. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you think going a, a pretty well-known project kind of player like Isaiah Wilson in the first round is the way to go in the lower end of the draft? Obviously, you don't want to really do that in the high end of the draft, but... Yeah, you know, I think given the position, given the offensive tackle uh, and the run that there was on that position in last year's draft where we saw so many guys go early, you kind of had to look at the board and say, okay, what's going to be there at 61? And it wasn't going to be pretty. And so it's like, okay, well, we better roll the dice on a project right now. You know, I know there was some talk about maybe you you could have gone Josh Jones in the second round, but like he didn't even really do anything for Houston this year. I mean, there I do like the potential there, but I think you look at guys like that, or excuse me, the Cardinals, not Houston. Uh, you look at guys like that and say, okay, we could have waited until round three, but you're still getting more of a project. So I think it was, you know, I'm a big John Robinson fan. I think he's done a really good job with this roster. So I think it was a good calculated risk. And had the off-field stuff not happened, we might've seen enough on the field to justify it a little bit better instead. And, and you know what that does, that does point at the front office. Like you have to do your homework to know, what this guy's like. And when you draft a player and it doesn't work out because of character or work ethic, that is on you as a front office. It's on that area scout for not doing the, you know, getting that information. It's on the director of college scouting. It's on the GM. It's on everybody who failed that process of getting the information to know, okay, we should have seen this coming. And oftentimes you really can see that coming. You know, people are always surprised when a player doesn't handle the middle side of things well. And it's like Dwayne Haskins right now. I don't want to pick on Dwayne Haskins, but we'll do that. Everyone said when he was coming out of Ohio State, he's not that mature. You know, there, there could be some problems here. He's not that mature. Well, guess what? He's going to a strip club during a pandemic. You know, okay, that was an immature decision. It doesn't mean he's a bad person. doesn't mean he's not intelligent. He's just not very mature. And when left to make his own decisions, he made some really bad ones. I think Isaiah Wilson's the same way. So that's where a lot of fans get upset when we, when folks like myself say, you know, there's some maturity questions with this player. People get so pissed off at you. It's like, how you're trying to hurt this player's draft stock. It's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to tell you that in the wrong situation, this could go poorly for him. You know, Dalvin Cook had to get out of Florida. Best thing that ever happened to Dalvin Cook was going to Minnesota. Sometimes that happens and, it, and it's okay and it works out. Sometimes, you know, it's like a, an Isaiah Wilson or a Dwayne Haskins or, you know, there's a, a laundry list of players where it just hasn't worked out because of immaturity, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I, I want to kind of switch gears that you were you were really early on the Jeffrey Simmons to uh, Tennessee stuff back in 2019. Obviously, 2019, 2020, those off seasons couldn't be like more night and day <laughs> for the Titans. They're 
one of the best draft classes for any team period that I've seen in quite some time. Simmons has turned into be a, a good player. I think he still isn't quite at his uh, ceiling yet uh, as a player, but AJ Brown's turned out to be a, you know, grand slam. Uh, yeah. Even guys, Nate Davis has turned into a really good starting right guard. Amani Hooker's a good rotational player for him. David Long has shown ability to, to maybe even be a starter for them. So uh, can you take us through that draft class a little bit uh, and, and kind of where you think those guys have, have played relative to what you expected from them coming out? Yeah, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, you mentioned I was really early on that, and I would like to say that I'm just super smart and th saw the scheme fit, and it's not like that. Someone pretty high up there told me if he's on the board, we're going to take him. So, uh, And that's what happens in my job that a lot of people won't admit to you guys is that like, oftentimes when you really nail something like that, you know, sometimes you will see the scheme fit and like, oh, this guy would be good there. More often than not, someone has told you, hey, if this guy's available, we're going to take him. So it makes you look really smart on draft weekend. <laughs> I loved Jeffrey Simmons, though. I thought he was the top five player. You know, obviously people had to get over or reconcile the background a little bit, but I think he's been a model citizen there, right? And I agree with you that he has not hit his ceiling yet. You know, coming in, being an injured player, missing so much of his rookie year, and then you don't have an offseason for year two, I think we're going to see a gigantic jump for Jeffrey Simmons this coming year. Now, A.J. Brown was my top receiver in that draft class, and I absolutely loved his game. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware. I'm like the world's biggest Michael Thomas fan. And I saw a lot of that in A.J. Brown, but like maybe a little more athletic. And so those receivers who can beat you on a post route because they're body positioning, but again, can then, you know, out muscle you on a 50-50 ball. You know, they basically box you out like a small forward. I loved that about A.J. Brown. And at Ole Miss, he showed all these things with nothing at quarterback. And so it's just a matter of if this guy just gets something consistent at quarterback, he's going to blow up. He's going to take off. All the traits were there. Uh, so I'm a, a huge fan of him. And, and obviously that pick has paid off really, really well. You mentioned Nate Davis to be a small school guy, you know, a Charlotte guy. I want to say it was at the senior bowl where I saw him. I apologize. I went to all the all-star games that year. So it might've been a different one, but I, I do remember watching him at an all-star game and just be like, man, this guy belongs like coming out of Charlotte. Like, he he's holding his own here. He absolutely belongs. And, and as you said, I think he's going to be a fixture there for a really, really long time. So it was a good draft class. I think it helps that, that was the draft that was in Nashville. So you guys probably are just amped up because it was also, you know, right downtown, you're watching this draft happen. But uh, I mean, yeah, you have, that's what you want. You love to come out of a draft. Top three picks are building blocks. You're now in year two. Those guys were all starters. They're all high caliber, you know, potential players that you can, you can build a foundation around. And that's what you have to do to remain competitive. It's not, it's not always hitting your first rounder, but really by, we were talking about expectations. If you're a second round pick by year two, you better be starting. And if you're a third round pick in year two, you have to at least be contributing. If not, like by year three, we're talking about you getting out of here. And so I think that's where J-Rob's done a really good job of making sure um, that these guys are talented enough and disciplined enough that they can, on a good roster, that's another thing that's hard as a young player to come in on a, a playoff roster and, and make your own mark. But these guys have done that. Oh, we coming off the national championship game on uh... – Monday night, you know, saw Alabama versus Ohio State and someone who's really kind of caught the eyes of the Titans fan base and who has improved from his previous season to this season is Christian Barmore. And a lot of people want to draft Christian Barmore. I think uh, some people think that he's a second round pick, but he may even have worked himself this season into a first round pick, but they want to take Christian Barmore and put him on the defensive line with uh, Jeffrey Simmons. What what do you think about Christian Barmore's um, progression from his previous season to this season? And where do you think his value will actually end up at the NFL draft? Yeah, I, I just pulled my notes up. I have him as a mid-second round pick. So right around where you guys would be uh, would be drafting. I think one thing to let's say uh, you got to like hit the brakes with Christian Barmore is he's a sophomore. And Nick Saban recruits his own guys back exceptionally well. So there's also that possibility, you know, that we've already seen guys like Jordan Davis at Georgia go back to school where this D line class, it seems like a lot of people are waiting for next year. So uh, should he enter? You're absolutely right that he, I mean, he blew up this year, eight sacks. Uh, that was a little bit, not what I thought he was going to be. I really last year getting ready for this year thought, okay, this is like your typical, you know, big, big five. He, maybe he can kick inside. It's your Alabama guy. And then you watch the play this year, it's like, okay, never mind. Like, where did this come from? He's much quicker this year. I think, you know, he just learned his body a little bit better. Again, he's super, super young, so that that does happen. But 
I would think that, I mean, if you get him and Jeffrey Simmons on the same line, that's going to cause a lot of problems for people, especially you want to go back to some of that old New England stuff where you're running basically 2D tackles and then a whole lot of edge rushers and guys standing up. And that works really well. So you're going to be able to collapse the pocket. You're going to be able to get a ton of pressure. I think the key is then figuring out what you're going to do on the outside. You know, obviously I'm a big Harold Landry guy, but what are you going to do consistently on the outside? So if you have an opportunity to get a Quiddy Pay, Joseph Osai, something like that in round one, and then you can somehow pair that with Christian Barmore in round two, like that's an A-plus draft. And yes, you're ignoring a little bit some of the things on offense, but, you know, even if, if Titans fans are, okay, we're ready to draft a wide receiver, it's going to be a really, really deep class for that. I would actually probably stay away from receivers in the first round, especially uh, in the 20s. So I do think there's an opportunity to really parlay to where you walk away with three starters in the top three rounds just because the way that the class lays itself out. Yeah, looking at the edge class, who are two like prospects that could be there at 22 that um, people may not know too much about because this is SEC country, so they may not right. know Joseph Asai or Quiddy Pay very well. Yeah, so Quiddy Pay, I've mentioned his name a couple times at Michigan. I don't think he'll be there at 22. He's too athletic. Um, he's go- if there's a combine, he will own the thing. I mean, he's just exceptional. Uh, 6'4", 270, and he's going to run in like the four fives. It's just not. It's not real, some of the things he does. Joseph Osai was a first-year pass rusher at Texas. He'd played as a stand-up linebacker before this year and really blossomed him. He was the best defender in the Big 12 this year. He's raw, but 6'4", 255, really, really long arms. He's more of your quick-to-convert-to-power type guy. I mean, this isn't just a big – this isn't Jadevian Clowney. You know, he's a little bit more of a speed rusher off the edge. Uh, a couple of guys who have a chance to be there are both from the University of Miami, actually. And that's Gregory Russo and Jalen Phillips. And Jalen Phillips was a five-star recruit to UCLA back in the day. Really got banged up. Just had a lot of injuries there. Took some time away. Resurfaced to Miami and was absolutely phenomenal this year. Another guy, 6'5", 265. One of those long edge rushers that I think fits what Vrabel wants to do up front. Uh, Gregory Russo opted out this year. But last year, his only year to start, he had 19 and a half tackles for a loss and 15 and a half sacks. And he's 6'7", 265. If y'all remember Marcus Davenport coming out of U, uh, UTSA a couple of years ago, who was a first-round pick by the Saints, I think Russo's like a twitchier version of him. So if he's there at, at 20, that might be a little bit of a surprise. But by opting out, he may have pushed himself into that range. It's a really good year to have an edge need in that range. There's not a Chase Young this year. There's not a Bosa brother. There's not a guy who's going to be a top-five pick. I think a lot of the edges, you start to have that conversation more in the 10 to 20 range. And depending on what happens with the quarterbacks, depending on who comes out, there could be five that go in the top 15. So that's just going to push tackles down to you guys. It's just going to push edge rushers down to you guys. So it's a really good spot to be. One, one more edge guy I want to ask you about, because I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of reconciling him. And this, is I think, leads into a, kind of a good question about traits versus production, right? Jason Owe from uh, Penn State. Yeah. Monster athlete, right? I mean, he's, he's a guy that jumps out to you on the screen when you watch him, but finished this season, obviously short season, only seven games, but zero sacks on the season. Uh, and I think only six and a half tackles for loss. Um, how do you reconcile that as a, as a scout? And then also, um, can you talk a little bit about how you consider tackles for loss versus sacks when projecting, projecting edge rushers? Yeah. With Jason, Oh, he's, Another player where he's just a superb athlete, and I, I had him – I mean, coaches have him running a 4-3, and he's 257 pounds. So when someone can do things like that, you almost make an excuse for lack of production because you're like, well, we can coach him better than they did. you know. And so you, you fall into that trap of they don't know what they're doing. Give me a guy like that, and I'll turn him into something. And so sometimes that works, right? Sometimes it doesn't. And I think that will be the conversation with him of, 6'5", 260, and he runs a 4'3", 3". We didn't have any sacks this year. Okay, well, that requires some context. How much was he double teamed? How much did teams go away from him? You know, the edge on the other side, Shaka Tony is really good at Penn State too. So it it becomes a matter of, okay, well, he should have had some opportunities to to have, you know, some one-on-ones. So with college production, kind of to the second part of your question, I always try to reconcile it, whether that's a quarterback or an edge rusher, and say, okay, um, I remember Gerard Holloman at, at Louisville a couple years ago. He had like a crazy amount of interceptions. One year wonder, and it's like, God, this guy had like nine picks though. But then you watch them, and so many were like punts basically that he was catching. You know, it wasn't him making the play. So with whether it's a tackle for a loss or a sack or whatever it might be, 
I try to go in and, and find those plays and say, you know, it's like with the, the software that I have, I can say, I want to see all Jason Owens tackles for a loss. And, you know, a couple seconds, those plays drop on the screen. And I can look at that and say, how many of these were him creating that production? And how many of those were handed to him? You know, uncontested sacks are a big thing in college that you almost have to just cross off a guy's list. So a player might have 19 sacks, 12 of them were uncontested. You know, it's just the quarterback busted play. He's standing there in the backfield with the ball in his hands. You tackle him. It doesn't, you didn't do anything special necessarily. So I think with Oa, that's the key. And I, I haven't had a chance to go through and do that quite yet and, and pare down his plays and say, okay, how much of this was you? How many plays, you know, how many sacks did you have that got blown up by a false start or something like that? And try to actually get through the box score a little bit on him. But I'm telling you, a guy with that athleticism, I don't think there's going to be a combine this year. There will be pro days. There will be some testing opportunities. Someone like that is going to just absolutely blow people away that he's probably a second rounder on tape, maybe an early third, but the athleticism is going to push him way up. Like Seattle doesn't have a first round pick, obviously, but like this is the kind of guy Seattle would draft in the first round every year. So I, I think he'll probably find a home up there somewhere. Uh, going back to the national championship game, a lot of people are concerned with Devontae Smith's uh, frame uh, transferring over to the NFL. Um, do, you, do you think that that is going to drop him pretty far down the list? Or do you think that people, the NFL is just going to be like, well, the talent is obviously there. The, uh, he, the route running, he does everything at an exceptional level, probably the best. If, if not the best, one of the best college wide receivers to ever play. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you think NFL execs realistically view about his frame and about how that will affect his draft position? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a fair question because he's 6'1", he's listed at 175. I bet we see him, again, if there's a combine where he can weigh in, I bet we see him water weight his way to over 180 pounds. Uh, that's it, It'll happen. I think with his frame, when you watch it on, on film or even like last night, he plays a lot bigger than his size. And you love some of that, right? I mean, he's a punt returner and he's incredibly physical. He tries to run through tackles. He blocks. I've seen him make tackles on the punt team before. So he plays much more physically than he is. So the next step for me would be, let's look at injury history. Okay, so he's a leaner guy. Is there concern on tape where, okay, he's been banged up in college until last night when that finger got dislocated and they really just precautionary held him out because they didn't need him anymore. He hadn't been hurt. So that's the other side of it. It's like, okay, he is leaner, but he hasn't been hurt. He's, he's not timid. You know, he plays like a bigger guy and his production is, it's like watching Jerry Rice in the college level, right? It's just not fair. So for me, I'm not concerned about it. And I think you just have to know who he is, know what you're getting. He's an exceptional route runner. He has the strongest hands of any of those wide receivers who've been at Alabama in the last three years. And that says a lot, given that four of them are going to be first-round picks. So I think there's just a lot to love about his game where you do have to know who he is a little bit. But I don't see – there could be teams that look at Jamar Chase coming out of LSU and say, you're 6'1", you're 210, but he's a, like a jack 210. It's all muscle. He's much more athletic than Devonta Smith. There could definitely be teams that look at Jamar Chase and say – and you kind of look like a faster A.J. Brown. I want some of that. Let's, you're going to be the first receiver off the board. Just like last year, Henry Ruggs, because of his raw speed, was the first receiver off the board. I don't think we're going to see Devonta Smith fall very far, though. I mean, he, the conversation with him starts at three overall with, with Miami having that pick from Houston right now. And I can't imagine him hanging out on the board much longer than that. One, one last question for you. Um... Titans looking at looking at what they've done this year, um, kind of positional needs. Obviously, edge kind of jumps out. Are there any other positions that that from a positional value in the first round standpoint you would look at if you were if you were John Robinson and the Titans? Yeah, I think edge, and as we you know we're talking about with guys like Christian Barmore, I think that defensive line position is just always so valuable. You know, in the first round, a lot of teams get cute, but I think it really comes back to premium positions. So it's going to be people who can protect the quarterback and people who can get to the quarterback when you have that player and you guys doing around Tannehill. So I think it's going to be edge, tier defensive line. And then, you know, Isaiah Simmons basically has four months to audition for his job or excuse me, three and a half months now. So I think that's the other key is how does he handle the, this time off? Does he show a commitment to his craft and to getting better and, and making the right decisions? Because if not, then I think you do start to look at offensive tackle and, and the senior bowl, which is in two weeks, it's going to be loaded with those guys. So with, with J Robin and Vrabel getting down there, you look at someone 
like a Dylan Radens from North Dakota State, say, okay, man, like this guy's the complete opposite of, of Isaiah Wilson from a mentality standpoint. If he's on the board, we have to at least think about it. So I, I would kind of mark those down. I do team needs and I do them in tiers. So my tier one needs for the Titans right now would be edge, interior D-line, and right tackle with wide receiver uh, just because of free agency. Uh, right now, I would say wide receiver is probably next in that grouping. Awesome. Well, um, you know, thanks for coming on, Matt. It was it was super informative, and I'm very excited. I will be uh, become a little paid member for uh, the NFLDraftScout.com. Did I, yeah, did I remember just, that yeah, correctly? The DraftScout.com. The, the NFL Draft they get pissed if you put their uh, letters in your <laughs> URL. You can't make well, money off the NFL without giving them some of it. Yeah, we we know a little bit about that NFL yeah. <laughs> uh, hate coming down on us from uh, BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Uh, so we. We know all about that, but yeah, the draftscout.com. I'll be a, be a paying member. Maybe I can get that general manager spot uh, for there the uh, first round. Uh, but we do, we would love to have you back on because we do get into pretty heavy draft stuff in the offseason. Uh, we've come pretty close to nailing most of the uh, first round draft picks since John Robinson's taken over ourselves on our show. So um, yeah, I mean, great stuff. Good information. I hope that Titans fans that are listening or even just football fans that may be listening in general got something from it. Uh, plug your Twitter and plug your site one more time. Yeah, Twitter is at NFL Draft Scout. And then the website's thedraftscout.com. I also got a shout out. I was just in Nashville uh, on my way home from Charleston, South Carolina. And my guy, uh, Shane Nasby, who has Honey Fire out in Bellevue. I'm not paid to say this, but y'all, it's the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. And I'm from the Kansas City area. So, uh, I love Nashville. Uh, it was bittersweet walking around downtown with the way things are right now. But uh, as soon as all this COVID stuff's over, I uh, would love to just come hang out, buy you guys some beers, and talk Titans football. Oh, man, we love, we love we, that. We, there's nothing more that these three guys like than beer and barbecue. <laughs> yeah, that and that is in our wheelhouse. Uh, Same here, yeah. Yeah. For uh, Matt Miller, um, Mr. Lebowski, Michael Gillum. I'm Zach Lyons. Mike Herndon at Mike Miracles. I'm at F Words Pod. This has been Football and Other F Words, and you have just been F. A Broadway Sports Media Production.